What is up? You are listening to The Teacher's Lounge. We're a podcast here at WNIJ devoted to telling the stories of education across Illinois and to help us in our journey. We are having conversations with local educators around you in your neck of the woods. I'm Peter Mudlin. I am your host. If you're not aware, we have new episodes that drop every other Friday. and This is just like the third episode, so you're in on the ground floor. We've just got two more. Run back, check them out. Come back, listen to this podcast, because it's going to be a good one. And if this is your first show, well, each episode has a few longer stories. We give you a brief news roundup in the middle to kind of catch you up on some headlines that you could have missed in the past few weeks. And finally, we do have that conversation with that local teacher, with that local educator. And this week, let me tell you, we have a real treat for you, because we actually talked to two people. We talked to two teachers, Mary Hartshorn and Heidi Milner. They're actually a mother and daughter who both teach kindergarten at the same school in the Kinnikinick School District in Roscoe, Illinois, just a little south of the Wisconsin border. I remember my first year teaching, I was still living at home. So I remember sometimes, you know, when we were having the, you know, conference time or time that, you know, teachers lose a little sleep that we would be, you know, in the hallway in the middle of the night at like one o'clock kind of sharing stories. And that's, you know, a very fond memory that I have. And now the next generation of their family is going to be walking those same halls. Not to teach yet, but Heidi's daughter is going to be in kindergarten this year at that same school. All right, now seems about the right time to start the show. You know, it's the end of August right now, and it's kind of the beginning of the new school year for everyone. And, you know, no matter where you're from or how old you are, there's always kind of something special about the brand new school year. It kind of elicits this very specific mixture of excitement and hope for the future, but also this like, you know, anxiety about whether or not things are going to turn out the way that you want them to, what's going to happen. And and this week's episode is kind of about that. In uh, in my conversation with the, the mother and daughter teaching duo that we talked about, and we mentioned Heidi's daughter who's going into kindergarten a little bit up top and about how she gave them some extra perspective about what it's like for students her age that are, you know, going and to get ready for school for the very first time. And so even when you've been teaching for a really long time, it's nice to have that reminder of what that actually feels like. And, you know, it's also the beginning of the school year for people in college. And for many of them, that's huge because it also means moving out of your house for the first time and moving out of state. And for more and more Illinois students, that's their reality. More Illinois students leave the state to go to school in another place than in almost any other state. It's second to only New Jersey, I believe. And the competition from these out-of-state schools to to attract and to recruit those Illinois students is fierce. So where are they going? And can those Illinois universities and colleges hope to win them back? Let's find out right now. A few years ago, when he was going to Yorkville High School, Matt Pistick saw college recruiters roaming his school that surprised him and made his friends laugh. They were recruiters from a university more than 700 miles away, the University of Alabama. I remember when I first saw it, like, we all just joked about, like, oh, ha, ha, yeah, University of Alabama. But then like, you look into it and it's like, oh, actually, you know what? Maybe that's not a bad idea. And it was the scholarships they were willing to offer that got his attention. He says he sent in his ACT scores and eventually received a letter telling him he'd gotten a full-ride scholarship. Around a decade ago, 45 first-time Illinois college students enrolled at the University of Alabama. Fast forward to today, and the university has catapulted into the top 10 out-of-state schools where Illinois students go. By 2016, that 45 had turned into 464 new students a year. 
Uh, one of my best friends down there is from Dust Plains. One of our other friends is from Granite City. And there's, there's a lot of people in Alabama from Illinois. Like in Pittstick's case, Alabama is not afraid to offer big scholarships to lure those Illinois students. According to the Chicago Tribune, Alabama gave full-ride scholarships to 203 Illinois freshmen in 2017. Pittstick did apply to schools in Illinois, but they couldn't offer him close to what Alabama did. No, I got nothing. From, uh, I mainly applied to University of Illinois, and then my other one was Iowa State, but University of Illinois wouldn't give me anything at all. Alabama is not the only out-of-state school that has pounced on the opportunity while Illinois has struggled with budget impasses and funding cuts. Far and away, the top school for Illinois students who leave is the University of Iowa. Nearly 1,700 first-time Illinois college students enrolled there in 2016. As opposed to Illinois schools who have struggled with enrollment declines, Iowa has steadily grown. In fact, when enrollment dropped last year, it was because the school wanted it to. The Board of Regents purposely let enrollment fall so they could focus on retention and graduation rates. Alabama and Iowa both invest heavily in the recruitment of Illinois students. Iowa has five recruiters here, and Alabama has four. Another outlier in recruiting Illinois students is Carthage College. They're a small, private liberal arts school in Kenosha, Wisconsin. It's about 15 miles from the Illinois border. But like Iowa, they've been growing in the last few years. Last year, they welcomed their largest freshman class ever. The majority of students are actually coming from outside of Wisconsin. Um, and Illinois is that big draw. That's Ashley Hansen. She's the assistant vice president of admissions at Carthage. She says around 400 new Illinois students have been coming to Carthage every year for nearly a decade. We are close enough to home that they can still, you know, get home on a, you know, a random weekend if they needed to. But yet they're out of state, so they're getting that going away to campus feel. So it's kind of, you know, the best of both worlds. Back in Illinois, students are still leaving at an alarming rate, and enrollment at the state's public colleges and universities, which rely on state aid, has taken the biggest hit. Some of this has to do with some external factors that aren't about the quality of institutions here. Quentin Clay is the director of admissions at Northern Illinois University. He adds that the university has to prioritize who, what, when, and where they were communicating with potential students. Even the Illinois students who may be looking for that best of both worlds experience. I don't want to deny the student an opportunity to see themselves in another place accomplishing a particular thing, interacting with all sorts of people. I don't want to deny that. Clay says that the university's new strategic enrollment plan puts them in a realistic position to thrive. But he says it'll take change. It's feasible, but it's going to be uncomfortable. I look to the day that we turn the page and we become proactive and predictive. Even though Illinois' out-migration problem doesn't look to be going away anytime soon, he's glad that NIU is having the necessary conversations to combat it. I don't think this is a conversation that's, that's taboo or a negative conversation as somebody's done something wrong. I think we should fight after what we care about most, and that's our students, and that's our, our local populations. Earlier this year, Governor J.B. Pritzker increased funding for the AIM High grant program to help ease the exodus. It provides merit scholarships to Illinois students at the state's public universities. All right, are we ready for the news roundup? I think so. Illinois passed a law to educate prisoners on their voting rights and, when possible, offer them the chance to vote. NPR Illinois' Sam Dunklaw reports, inmates can also shave time off of their sentences by completing education or treatment programs. 
In other news, the measure increasing the minimum teacher salary in Illinois to $40,000 was officially signed by Governor J.B. Pritzker. And Illinois was recognized by a recent Wallet Hub report as one of the top states in the nation for early childhood education. All right, now it's time for my chat with the mother-daughter teaching duo. You guys want to really quick say just how long you guys have been teachers now? I have been teaching kindergarten at Ledgewood for 26 years. Uh, Both of my parents were teachers, and speaking of having your own parent, uh, as a teacher, I did have my mom uh, as an eighth grade reading teacher, so that was a neat experience for me. Uh, it was just one hour a day throughout that year, but it was a subject that was uh, one that I loved, and it was gave me a big perspective on um, her in a whole different role. And she was a wonderful teacher, so she was a role model for me that I did get to experience for that particular year. Yeah, and so you want to just so both of your parents were teachers. Heidi and I were talking on the way here that she would be the fourth generation in our family of educators. Uh, Both of my mom's parents were teachers, uh, high school and college. Both of my parents were teachers. My mom taught middle school, primarily eighth grade, and my dad worked, uh, was a civil engineer and taught surveying and engineering at a junior college. So they all taught older grade levels, and I had always envisioned that I would teach kindergarten most of my life. And what's kind of interesting growing up with a teacher is you get to, you know what, what to expect when you become a teacher because you're able to see some of the potential challenges as being an educator along with all the wonderful positive aspects of it. So you mentioned that this was like, you know, your whole life that was kind of the plan was to teach kindergarten. Absolutely. My mom would say that I might have been six or seven years old when I said I was going to be a kindergarten teacher. Was it as inevitable for you? Um, I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. I remember playing pretend and I was a teacher with the chalkboard, but I always kind of envisioned that I would have older grade levels. I was more picturing that I would be third, fourth, fifth. And then when I was in college, um, a professor that I was very close to, she had some input in my student teaching placement. And um, she thought that I'd have a good kindergarten personality. And so she placed me in kindergarten at student teaching, which was kind of a surprise to me. But about two weeks into it, I fell in love with the grade and knew that that was where I was meant to be. How about ending up in the same district? How did that happen? I grew up in the Kinnikinick School District. And when I was graduating, um, they had an all-day program that they were opening. And when we first started, we were both in the Kinnikinick School District, but at different schools. And then our building, our district did some reconfiguring of the buildings, and they put us in the same building. And now we have eight sections, and it works out kind of well. It's also nice to be able to come being teaching in the school district that I grew up in. So that's also a nice. Yeah. And this is her 11th, 11th year? 11th year. In the district. And I think as a parent, it was nice that she had a chance to establish her own identity as a teacher in a different building because then she had her own autonomy before she came over and was connected with me. And most of our parents probably don't even know we're related unless it happens to come up. It's not something that we necessarily advertise, but some of them are aware of it. Now, have any of you guys' like students picked up on it? Is that something that they're like aware of if they figured it out? Normally, they don't pick up on it unless they've had a parent that has told them. Um, some of them have noticed that our da- my daughter will call me mom and call her grandma. And there have been every once in a while a couple students that have connected the dots there, but typically they don't pick up on it. Do you remember some advice that maybe she gave uh, early on? 
I don't necessarily know if there was any advice, but um, growing up around another educator, you're able to see kind of the behind the scenes things. And so just naturally, I was able to observe and get some advice. I remember my first year teaching, I was still living at home. So I remember sometimes, you know, when we were having the, you know, conference time or time that, you know, teachers lose a little sleep that we would be, you know, in the hallway in the middle of the night at like one o'clock kind of sharing stories. And that's, you know, a very fond memory that I have. And that would be a lot of the advice that I remember, I feel like, is that first year. Okay, so you guys just had, was today your second day? This this was our second full day with our brand new kindergartners. Second full day, but how does, first of all, just how does it feel? How how, how did it go? And then specifically, how has it been with, uh, with your daughter? It's been fun as a parent being able to pass her class walking the hallway or see her in the lunchroom and being able to see her in a different setting that I haven't seen her before. So, And especially yesterday as the first day of school, you have the excitement as a teacher, but then also the excitement as a mom having her um, first child go to kindergarten. So that was kind of fun, you know, different emotions and also a different perspective that I hadn't seen before. Yeah. I think myself watching my granddaughter get ready for kindergarten and just this great excitement and hope for what the year would bring is a good reminder to me of all these children sitting home that night before school, what they're anticipating. They have no idea what to expect. And it is kind of cool that you guys both got like a behind the curtain of the kids that are coming in for their first day. And even hearing some of the questions that she would ask are things that you wouldn't think about. So what do I do if my pencil breaks? And little things that you wouldn't think a five-year-old would be thinking about, but being able to process that and remember what some thoughts my students might be going through as well. Yeah. Now, you mentioned that, Heidi, that you were like five or six or seven when you really could tell that she also wanted to be a teacher with your own daughter. Can you sense it yet? Can you feel it? Is she next in line? You know, I don't know. She's mentioned a couple times being a teacher, and she's um, helped out in my classroom. So in the morning, she comes to school with me, and today she was very excited. She wanted to have a job in the classroom. So she's going to help me looking through the students' crayon cups and making sure the pencils are clean, uh, sharpened and that they're clean. So she has an interest in it. Um, her passion right now, though, is animals. She often talks about being a vet. So you never know. I can see it going either way. Is there anything else that... When you were just thinking about like the multi-generational aspect about that and how unique of a situation that it is, that is there anything else that really stood out to you or just when you think about it, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? I don't know if every family and every mother-daughter would be able to have a positive working relationship when you're working with family, you hear different things. And we... It really works for us. It's something that we enjoy. Um, I feel like it's we've always been close, but it's brought us even closer. It's given another thing to connect to. And I don't also know if it would work in every um, work setting. It's more just kind of a, a blessing when we do get to see each other in the hallway. And as a mother, I think uh, I often learn more by watching her as an educator than possibly she does for me. So I think it's as much of a gift to me to be in the building uh, with her as it is you know, vice versa. All right, that's our show. And hey, everyone, before I get out of your podcast feeds for the next few weeks, I want you to go over and email us at teacherslounge at niu.edu. It's over there. You can send us all of your suggestions for topics, and you can nominate teachers to be on the show. 
We want to give a special thank you to Mary and Heidi, of course, for being on this week's show. Best of luck for the new school year for you both. And as always, we want to give a big thank you to the Rockford area band Kind Ofs for allowing us to use their music for our show. Can you believe that we get such cool music for an education podcast? I can't either. Uh, you can find them on SoundCloud, or they had an appearance on our own Sessions from Studio A right here at WNIJ. You can spell their band's name K-I-N-D-O-V-E-S. And thanks again to Spencer Tritt for making our awesome logo, which you're probably looking at right now. And whatever podcast service you're on, if you're already there and you haven't hit subscribe, hit subscribe now so that way you will not miss any other episodes when we come back into your feeds in about two weeks. I've been your host, Peter Medlin. Have a great one. <laughs>